perceive. And even when we do not see all of the great way in which your hand is working, we are blessed beyond measure. We are thankful. I pray you would be with your people. I pray you would protect them. I pray you would bless them. I pray you would prosper them according to your will. I pray that you would use them for your purposes in the earth. Bind us together in unity. Knit us together in mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all. We are going to get started right now. Thank you for joining with us, however you are watching. Uh, we are going to actually look at one of the uh, short uh, pastoral books of the New Testament. Um, I was thinking a few hours ago that I, I haven't taught much from the book of Titus. Um, I'm not sure that I've preached much from the book of Titus, um, but it is a, a beautiful book. It is uh, Paul writing a short letter of instruction to a young man who he has grown fond of in his later ministry. Uh, Titus, uh, as near as we can tell, went on Paul's third missionary uh, journey with him after his first Roman imprisonment. And Paul left him uh, there in Crete to start a work, and we'll, we'll look at it together. Uh, for a title, let me entitle this simply, Making Doctrine Beautiful. Uh, making Doctrine Beautiful. I'm going to direct your attention now to the book of Titus, and we will read. Let me back up my camera just a little bit here so I can uh, show you several things. If you start over here uh, in the beginning of the book, you'll see the uh, the headings, the initial greeting, uh, the instructions for elders and the unique role of elders in their tasks and duties. And then we get over here to the qualities of a sound church. Um, and at the end of this second part here, um, there's this statement that is made. Uh, that I want to focus your attention on because it is, to my way of thinking, it is it is on one one level instructive and interesting, and on another level, it is deeply, profoundly challenging. And if possible, I want to do both sides of both points um, some justice here tonight. Uh, let's start here at verse number six. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Now notice verse number nine, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering or not stealing but showing all good fidelity. And notice this phrase, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Well, uh, let me just talk for a minute about how, uh, how deeply challenging this is to ask of young believers, uh, young ministers, to ask in so great a time of injustice as the Roman Empire, 
Um, uh, it's almost as though injustice is at a new height. It's almost as though evil um, has never been so celebrated. It's almost as though that the leaders uh, in governmental place and role have never been more uh, hideous. Think about that. Um, Nero uh, is going to put Peter to death. He's going to put Paul to death. And these are Nero's years. And uh, this is the world. This is the ugly, uh, unjust, painful world in which this letter, this letter is written. Uh, and the Apostle Paul makes the statement that uh, individuals have an opportunity to, in some way, make the doctrine beautiful, to make the doctrine uh, beautiful. Um, I, I don't know how that felt to them. I, I don't. I sincerely don't know how it felt to them. Uh, to to me, I can immediately imagine many ways in which it feels very, very uh, challenging. But we'll we'll get into that. Um, to make something beautiful is some is is an idea that um, most anyone can appreciate. Um, I think it probably is more uh, the women folk among us who make things beautiful. I know that can be dangerous to try to group um, by uh, male or female, and I know it's not just women, but in my world, um, it was my mother who took care to light a candle over a simple dinner. Um, it was not not my father. <laughs> Um, it, it was my mother who looked at things and thought we could do this and that, and if we painted this, that would be better. Um, I know that's not the case in every every family, and um, I know many of our, our men are quite uh, aesthetically um, talented. Uh, for me, it was my mother, and my father was practical at the expense of the of, uh, of aesthetics. In other words, as long as it worked, he didn't really care how pretty it was. We had a famous joke. Um, my mother had bought this new bedspread when I was about nine. We were we didn't have much money back then, so to buy a bedspread, to actually have money to buy a bedspread, it was kind of like a planned thing. You know, you save your money, you, you need a bedspread. Now at this time, I was sleeping in a closet. Me and my brother were sleeping in a closet uh, that was in the master bedroom. Uh, my mom and dad had, we didn't have, it was a two bedroom house. My sister had one, my parents had one, me and my older brother slept in the closet of the main bedroom and they hung their clothes outside against the wall. That's, we had a pair of bunk beds in there. Uh, my mother uh, still tried, in spite of that rather humble context, my mother would try to make things beautiful. Um, whether she had a lot or not, she tried to make things beautiful. It was like a pride uh, that she had. I don't know how it happened, but this new bedspread, I can still see it. It was um, it was colors of light green and light blue. It had some floral to it, um, and it was, you know, the finest Sears product. <laughs> and somehow in us kids playing, we tore it. To say my mother was upset is uh, to understate the matter uh, in some profound manner. 
um, she had she knew what it had cost to actually save the household budget to, to buy a new bedspread and she was proud of it went many things in this shotgun house we were living in where we literally hunted rats with BB guns true story tell you that some other time um, and probably me and my brother um, I'm going to blame him more than me because he deserves more blame than me I'm mostly righteous thank you uh, <laughs> and he or I somebody tore this bedspread substantially so the, the the white fibers of insulation that was between the material was torn and gaping open and uh, my mother was upset she was so upset she could not talk about it I, I didn't see her cry or I don't have any memory of that but she was very upset well my dad was trying to cheer her up and he went to her sewing closet and he got some red thread now there was nothing in this that was red but he just was not thinking aesthetically he was thinking practically and so he true story sewed that bedspread up with red thread and so when you came in and you saw it it was no longer gaping open and white but there was a red scar all the way across it where he had sewed it up and my mother when she saw it I'm sure she appreciated the effort but the first thing she said was did you have to use red thread <laughs> can you not see there's nothing in this that's red so it became a family joke true story it became a family joke about uh, if something is uh, if something's broken or messed up we just say oh just sew it up with red thread it was my mom who had the aesthetic who had the appreciation of beauty um, but as you know humans we we have a sense of this we are appreciative of it um, in the great novels you can read Jane Austen's book Emma and there's this scene where Emma Woodhouse is dressed to go to a ball and she's she's made herself as beautiful as she can and uh, Jane Austen describes her efforts in in intricate detail and describes the satin gown and the pearls and the elegant hairstyle and describes her all the way down to the the light and brilliant look on Emma's face as she prepares to enter uh, the ball the ballroom uh, this is uh, all through the human story Leo Tolstoy's uh, Anna Karina uh, one scene uh, Kitty and Anna are they're about to go to a, bo a ball and and the uh, Tolstoy's talking about how beautiful they are and bringing out Kitty in this uh, delicate lace dress and Anna in a elegant black velvet gown with rich ruby jewelry at her at her throat there's something within us that it's 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 fun but more than fun it is it's classy it's elegant it's satisfying somehow to make things make things beautiful in uh, Louise Ann Alcott's book Little Women there's a scene where the March sisters adorn Meg to look like a lady before she goes out to Annie Moffat's ball they curl her hair they dress her up in a white gown they finish her off by quote casting light and uh, delicate shadows over her head by doing by arranging flowers they can't afford jewelry but they they arrange flowers they make something beautiful of what they can afford and then they think it's more beautiful because it's more than flowers and more than jewelry it's their creativity they made something they made something uh, beautiful on and on we could go with these examples 
um, of making something beautiful. If, if, if you have any craftiness about you in the sense of making things or designing things or you want to make it, you want to make something uh, uh, beautiful, um, not everyone will appreciate, but you'll find your people. <laughs> Uh, you'll find your tribe, and it's a it's a it's not a small thing to find your tribe. Uh, I one of the things I, I hope everybody at First Church does. I hope you find your tribe in First Church. There's people who they appreciate what you appreciate. They, they it may be cooking, it may be uh, singing, it may be music, it may be art, it may be baskets, it may be knitting. You find your tribe, uh, and then there is. Um, uh, so, so you know how that you know that old timers used to say that um, a, a fire warms you twice. It warms you the first time when you chop the firewood, and it warms you the second time when you burn the wood that you've chopped. That is how anything uh, to creative is. It it pleased you first when you put it all together and you saw the idea and you arranged the idea. And it pleases you again every time somebody else in your life sees it and appreciates uh, what you did. I love when people uh, have, I, I love, uh, this sounds silly to say, but here we go. I love old trucks that someone has kept up. There's something about the discipline of keeping them up that I, I, I admire it. I admire it so much. As I get older and I see people who are disciplined in, in, in their exercise and they're working out, and um, it's almost like I know how hard it was to do that. I know how hard it is to keep that. And it's like there's part of me that wants to say, I see you. I, <laughs> you know, no one else may appreciate your discipline, but I know what it cost you to do that. To make something beautiful is, um, I think, part of what it means to be human. And one of the original, here, this is interesting, one of the original duties given to Adam and Eve were to keep a garden that God had given to them beautiful. And they were to keep it. They were to tend it. Um, he filled it with its riot of colors and its um, bountiful growth and lushness. Um, but they could bring order to it. They could make it beautiful. So it is with any any garden that uh, any of you who are gardeners, I am, I'm a I have a tiny bit of a gardener in me. Not not enough to celebrate, but a tiny bit. And uh, you see someone make the effort, plan it. They made it beautiful. And there, there's something, there's something I think deeply satisfying. Not not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but like to our even our creative purpose. I mean, even Adam and Eve um, had an original. A calling or a potential upon them to tend, to care, to bring order to a garden that, though beautiful, still had to be brought to a fruitful and productive order. Um, and here we read in Titus where, quite to our surprise, uh, there is this statement where the apostle appeals to um, uh, bond servants, not, not, not just everyone. He, he appeals to bond servants. Look here, verse number nine. Exhort 
bond servants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not talking back, not looking for ways to steal from them, but showing good fidelity. And then this statement that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, let's, uh, before we go any further, let's, let's, remind ourselves that there is no justice whatsoever in uh, slavery or bond bond servitude. Um, Now, uh, to be historically fair, um, I know not everyone's interested in that, but to be historically fair, there were ranges of this servant, bond servant, slave um, in the Roman Empire. I will not say any of them are just, and none of them are a way to organize the world. All of them are, in some manner, unjust, and all of them are, in some manner, an inappropriate uh, method of organizing society. I will defend it in no shape or form whatsoever. To be historically fair, we would have to appreciate that the unique, the, the, the worst image of slavery is what was um, shown in those slaves taken in battle or they were treated the worst. But there was an upper upward path in Roman society, still unjust, and I'm not defending it, I'm just trying to be historically fair, where a slave could become more of a servant, and a servant could become a freeman, and uh, the... Uh, slave who became a servant could actually choose to stay um, with his or her master because they felt like they were part of the family. They did not feel like they were just abused and thrown away. Again, there's no defense of slavery, but to be historically fair, we have to see the range of um, uh, indentured servant and uh, servant status in the Roman Empire to understand what's going on here. Um, Does the Bible, is the Bible primarily like unbelievers and critics try to say, is it primarily about endorsing slavery? I would say no. I would say there are scriptures that you could read and take out of the larger story of freedom. The whole story, the whole covenant or people are about people who received the strength to throw off slavery. Um, In the New Testament, however, there is this larger world problem of society as it is. Um, And the gospel is about saving the souls of humanity, not primarily about attaining social justice. Um, That is a a difficult transition because in our flesh, in our lust for justice, and I don't even want to say lust because lust is a pejorative word as though I don't think it's a good thing to want justice. In our passion, that's probably a better word, in our passion for justice, um, uh, there, uh, that is uh, part of the human story, and that is part of our social becoming. 
our civic change. And every society world over that has gone through that ancient uh, manner of organizing society uh, and cast it off is infinitely better and more just than a society who still seeks uh, to do that. Um, but having said all of that on this complicated subject, um, I, want, I want you to see how awkward it would have been to ask a bondservant to ignore the injustice of what is being done to them and to be in their own choice and by their own way uh, people of honor to ignore the just injustice and to be people of honor now this is uh, this is not very satisfying to the human critic uh, the modern critic I should say because this is not at all what we want to hear about um, and yet there's a principle here that I want to pull out of this um, and I, I want to say this there are there must be a challenge to our spirits, our callings, our ministry, where the larger kingdom of God matters more than my personal seeking of justice. Why do I say that? Because it's not just here. This is probably the most troubling example of making the doctrine of God beautiful by your testimony ignoring the injustice of your situation and making the gospel of the Lord, the doctrine of the Lord, beautiful. Do you see what's happening here? Um, Paul is not trying to say, look, this is the way it should be. It'll never be better than this. He's, he's, he's actually saying something deeper than that and something that, believe it or not, applies to every one of us. No, we are not in the same situation that a bondservant would have been in, where they had a debt and they had to work that debt off through labor. And there was a legal system in place where if they did not work off that debt as being a bondservant, uh, they not a captured enemy of war, that's pure slavery, but a bondservant there, like a debtor's prison, where instead of staying locked up, you have this opportunity in the... the, the corpus of law, so to speak, to work for that person and work off that debt rather than languishing in a debtor's prison. Is this just? I don't. I, I would say no. Um, I know you can argue it both ways. That's not the point. Let's not get distract, distracted. I think there's better ways for societies to organize themselves than indentured servitude or debtor prisons. I think history's proven that. I think um, our political science has well settled that issue, and um, it's 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 bad all around. Um, and yet, if you find yourself in a horrible situation, if you find yourself in an inherently unfair world, if you find yourself trapped in a circumstance of which there is no justice under the sun, can you still comport yourself in such a way? That the gospel is made beautiful. That's the question. Not whether or not the the, the unique 
uh, socioeconomic context of a bond servant is right or wrong. Let's just say that's wrong. There's a better way to handle it. It's it not about whether or not the Roman Empire is just. I mean, come on. I don't think anybody is going to uh, promote that. Uh, uh, Rome had more slaves in it than free people. I mean, c come on. Um, the, if you set aside all of these things that not only you're welcome to have an opinion about, but you have no control over, those generations have passed. That, gener that, that empire has fallen, you see. Um, do you ever find yourself in a circumstance of injustice, uh, someone, some context, somebody is being unfair to you, and you ask yourself this question, in spite of my opinion of Roman justice, in spite of my opinion of labor law and debt law, in my society. Is it possible for me to carry myself in such a way that I make the doctrine of God beautiful? That's the central issue right there. Not the justice of the Roman Empire. Let's agree. It was a hot mess. Not the uh, civil justice of ancient debt law. I mean, come on, really? Um, all the way up to Victorian England, we were we had that messed up, and it was just a nightmare. Uh, uh, I mean, you can you understand what I'm saying? Setting aside all the things you can't control, none of these bond servants could overthrow the Roman Empire. None of them could overthrow the law, the doctrine of law that had been established, whereby debtors' court was adjudicated through a bond servitude. Um, none of them had any control over that. Make the list of things they can't control. And my friend, my brother, my sister, it's, it's longer than your arm. And here's the question. In spite of all this stuff you can't control, is it possible that you could comport yourself in such a manner, you could walk in such a way, talk in such a way, that you could make beautiful the doctrine of God? Here is the astonishing thing that I, I often see. Uh, we, have, we live in much gentler times, and I'm thankful for that. We are blessed with more freedom than anyone in the Roman Empire other than the extreme elites ever knew. Um, we have uh, help in social programs, as we should. We're a rich society. Don't be so greedy that you don't want to help somebody. Um, we should be able to help. We're a very wealthy society. We can we can drop $10 billion on a military ship. And I, I mean, come on. These things are good for the most part. Sure, there's excesses. That's not the point. Um, if you want to see what a society looks like that doesn't have any of that, go to the third world. And you'll see children living in the dump. Um, I mean, literally eating food out of the dump so they can live. Um, we, we should do all those things. We have it better in many ways than all of these individuals who serve God in unjust situations. And Paul, in spite of the injustice, injustice, in spite of the pain, Paul asks them to carry this, to think about this, to consider this. Can you, in spite of the injustice, the pain, the awkwardness, can you live your life in such a way that you make the doctrine of God beautiful? Now, here's the, the, the challenging thing to me. It makes me want to, uh, I think back at things I've said and attitudes I've indulged in, and I, I want to repent because we can have so much more than these people ever had. 
so much less pain, so much less agony, so much less injustice. And we can make the doctrine of God ugly by having bad attitudes, by having contentious spirits, by having critical minds, hearts, mouths, by being gossipers. We can make the doctrine of God ugly. If you can make something beautiful by adorning it, you can make it ugly by disregarding, damaging, destroying, harming, twisting, wrinkling. You get the idea. Um, we have an opportunity to make beautiful the doctrine of God. How then do we do that? Well, uh, here, is, here is some examples that the Apostle Paul gave, not to us spoiled modern people with uh, all that we have. Uh, there's, there's not an emergency room in this city that will refuse you or your family. Well, not that I know of. They will care for you. They may fight you later over money, but they, they will care. We live in much gentler times. And all you have to do is go on Facebook and you'll see some Christian making the doctrine of God an ugly thing. Isn't that amazing? Paul had the audacity to ask these people, living as indentured servants because of debts they owed, he said, you don't forget, you can make beautiful the doctrine of God. And of course, the converse must be then true, right? You could make it ugly. Um, how much more should we be willing to make beautiful the doctrine of the Lord? Um, instruction given to um, the various individuals here in the uh, book of Titus. Um, they're, they're told, we're told to um, be obedient to those who have proper authority over us, to treat them as we would Christ, um, not with, and this is all from, um, you can find a corollary passage here in Ephesians 6, um, not with eye service, not as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. In other words, forget about owing that person Think about what you owe to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, this Colossians 3, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. And here's Colossians 3, the next verse. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, sincere, earnest uh, uh, service to our employers, uh, to be uh, well-pleasing to people, to try to make people happy. NIV, trying to please them. NRSV, to give satisfaction in every respect. NET, to do what is wanted. Um, that is not uh, encouragement to e illegality or moral depravity, um, uh, but to seek as much as in us lie to have good relations with people. Another thing we read here um, in, 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 uh, in, in the scripture we read, um, well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not being argumentative, not talking back. Um, you understand what I'm saying? Um, there is a way to be true to yourself without picking fights with everyone. There is a way to hold fast to your uh, your own justice, your own uh, sense of order uh, without uh, walking around as an angry man or an angry woman everywhere you go. 
Uh, and then he says this, not pilfering. Now, this is exactly what a bondservant would feel justified in doing. You've stolen my life. And you're saying I can't steal your material goods? It was so common, it was a cliche in the culture. Uh, and so the apostle says, look, don't be a pilfer, don't, don't be a thief. Uh, you can make the doctrine of God beautiful. You can show good fidelity proving yourselves to be faithful. Now, real quick, let me give you some examples of this. Two scriptural examples. The first being Joseph, who though he was cast into uh, slavery, he, he was diligent. He did not let his context define his ethics. Man, that's hard for all of us. We're so quick to justify why we did this and said that and blah, 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 and you understand. Stay with me a moment or I'm almost done. Uh, jo uh, Joseph was elevated because he kept fidelity to the Lord and by serving the Lord, he was faithful to his master. He demonstrated that until he was elevated even by Pharaoh. And he, he made beautiful the story of the Hebrew children. He made beautiful the covenant promise of the patriarchs uh, through his testimony. The second one is Daniel. Daniel is a captive, and it's worse than that. He's actually um, a eunuch. Uh, you talk about uh, things that uh, it would be easy to be bitter about. Um, he is uh, denied all that is entailed and associated with that, uh, whether family um, or just living. Um, he is, he is uh, denied that, and he is made to serve. And he decides... Uh, in spite of this, he's going to do uh, good things. Is it easy? No. Is it hard? Yes. Is it crazy hard? Absolutely. Is it so hard that even now I, I struggle? Yes. And I'm the one teaching. <laughs> this, however, is a great challenge to all of us. How am I reflecting the truth I celebrate, the doctrine I share, the promise I live? How am I living it out? Am I making it beautiful or am I making it ugly? Uh, there are uh, so many ways in which we make it ugly. We make it ugly by um, uh, vanity, where our vanity disallows anybody else from having uh, uh, any, any point, any uh, experience, any accomplishment. Everybody else is just made to bow down before us because we are the Pharisees. Um, that we can make it so ugly. We can make it ugly by having received forgiveness. We don't forgive others. Um, we can make it ugly by um, loving law more than people. Uh, that is a great contrast in the New Testament between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, we can make it ugly by loving judgment and not mercy. Um, we can, again, we're called to walk justly, to love mercy. Um, we're called to, to live out our justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Or we can do it the inversely. We can walk with arrogance. We can make it ugly. Um, how can you demonstrate and make and adorn the doctrine of God? By the kind heart, by the gentle spirit, by the soft-spoken word, by the long-suffering kindness, 
Uh, let me say it all in a different way. You could live out the character of God, the actual character of God, as you are changed by his presence. You and I, God help me, can live out his character. We call those the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. This is the lived nature of God through us. It is us being changed by being partakers of the divine nature. Um, if I can adorn the doctrine of God, very few people will begrudge me my faith because they don't expect everyone to agree with their faith. But when I have a harshness and I have an ugliness, then um, the first people to know and the first people to refuse are usually people close to us. It's family. Uh, how are you doing adorning the doctrine you believe to your family? I want to encourage you that if Paul, and I'm almost done, if Paul could have the audacity to ask bond servants to live this way and make beautiful the doctrine of God in spite of the injustice they're living with, how much more should we take it on ourselves? And here is the kicker. This is the kicker. This is an astonishing truth. We know from New Testament language and the writings of Paul that some of these bondservants won their masters to God. We know it from passages in the Apostle Paul. Some of these people did not just read it and move on. <laughs> some of them lived it. And they made the doctrine of God beautiful. And they converted even their masters. And more, many New Testament churches get started in the houses of wealthy people who are converted. Wealthy people who are converted. Wealthy people own slaves. <laughs> they have bond servants. They settle debt law according to the uh, style of the land. Do you see? Do you see? I want to, if the Lord will help me, I'm going to live my life where I adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's such a humbling thing to think that our lives influence uh, the beliefs that other people have about us. It's so humbling to think that uh, we can get it wrong and live in a way that embarrasses you, embarrasses, makes, uh, brings a shame upon the gospel, or we can in conversely live a way that actually adorns the gospel and makes beautiful the doctrine of God. Um, help us to do that. Forgive us of our transgressions. Forgive us of our impatience. Forgive us of our uh, times of having a, a bad spirit or a bad attitude. And help us to serve you and know you uh, completely in our life. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you today. We thank you today. Amen. God bless you all. Um, hope you're having a, a good week of prayer and fasting. Um, I, I it may not be the best week for your flesh, but it can be a great week for the spirit uh, within us. Uh, Sunday morning, 9 a.m., 9.15 and 11 a.m. at Charlotte, 2 p.m. in Concord. Um, we love you. We thank God for you. We pray you would have a great week in the name of the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.